Hey, hey, guys and gals, this is Chris Elmore, and this is the Rocks, Roots, and Ruts show. We are back here with a very cool episode. I've actually got my first guest, and we're talking nutrition. He is a vegan athlete, a marathoner, and an ultra runner, and he is from Canada. So I'm excited to talk to Sean to get his perspective. He transitioned to veganism a few years ago. He has three children and a wife who is a doctor and he has his own business so he's busy like i am we've got a lot of similarities so it's gonna be really interesting to talk to uh talk to him about how he's training and also how transitioning to a diet like that which i've always been interested in and potentially may experiment down the road with just to see what it uh, what the effects are because i've been a meat eater for so long but uh, so i'm excited to get sean on the show here and talk to him but first i want to say for those of you who may not have heard your shirts are in the mail and they should be getting there any day. I'm looking forward to you guys getting them and, and posting some pictures. So if you get that shirt, tag me and uh, post a picture. But if you missed a chance to get the shirts, you can check out rocksrootsandruts.com. I've got the gear up there and you can order those now and I'll get those in the mail to you from shirts to hats and coffee cups, things like that. So check that out. But first off, I want to say thank you to Head Sweats. I am a Head Sweats ambassador. I always talk about them. They make uh, hats and beanies and visors and all kinds of really, really cool things, um, scarves, things like that. So you can use the code CJ25, that's C-J-A-Y-E-2-5 at headsweats.com and you're going to get a 25% discount on that. I also want to say thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. If you haven't had a chance to jump over to patreon.com slash cjmedia on there, you can uh, support me in what I'm doing. If you're enjoying what I'm doing, uh, I've got folks up there. I just really appreciate all of them like Jason Phillips and Todd McKnight and Ken Wright and Doug Miller. Uh, all of those folks up there, there are a bunch of them that are just helping make this happen, helping me uh, really justify putting even more time into it, adding the podcast, continuing to do the videos. So you can do patreon.com slash CJ Media. And thank you to all of those folks that are on there. I greatly appreciate you doing that. And uh, it just makes uh, makes uh, offsetting some of my costs, uh, makes it uh, kind of nice. So, But other than that, I am less than 10 days away from my race. It is uh, Monday morning and it is March 25th. So we are coming up on the race here. It uh, I did a 11 mile run yesterday, which was nice. I did a six mile run on Saturday, which was my first run since doing the 62 or 100K race uh, a week ago. Went out, did a hilly um, six miler, five, six miler, and uh, felt that a little bit on my calf. So then I, yesterday I did a 11 miler. It was flat, but it was on the trails. The trails here are open finally, which was really nice. The wildflowers are blooming and spring is here in California. So uh, I'm looking forward to being able to train so much more in daylight and getting on the trails. So at this point, it's kind of taper time for me. I am just tapering down and getting ready for the race, just kind of doing some final ordering, trying to organize and, and get ready. My sister-in-law, my wife's sister and her brother are actually showing up next Saturday, which is just four days before the race, and they're going to be here for a week. So they're actually going to be here those few days before I head out to the race. And uh, so I'm trying to get as much organization done now. And uh, that way, I'm not, uh, I don't feel stressed when when it's time to go to the race. but. 
I'm excited to get to this episode, so let's go ahead and jump into that now. Out, trail run. All right, Sean. Well, we are live, and uh, I want to say thanks for coming on today. Today's guest is Sean Stratton, and he is on here to talk about running and um, life and nutrition. First guest that really talking about nutrition specifically. You know, I always ask everyone about uh, what they do during a race, but not specifically anything um, as as deep as you know. I, I eat meat, but Sean particularly doesn't. So we're going to get into that and kind of that lifestyle and how that's affected his uh, racing. But how you doing, Sean? Fantastic. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's looking a lot brighter where you're at than it is here right now. It's a little dark still. Yeah, I can uh, maybe if I pull this, I can show you. I don't know if you can see the big snow banks still outside my door. But <laughs> Wow. How many feet do you have out there? We probably got a good three feet still on the front lawn man it's uh it's warming up and it's melting uh but not fast enough <laughs> <laughs> how often are you training I, I was outside chopping up yesterday i was chopping up the snow yesterday throwing it on the driveway trying to get it to melt faster ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i've been training outside not enough uh i've managed to do all my long runs outside so every sunday i'll get out and then maybe one other day a week depending on how, how it's been um yeah i i've been way too much on the treadmill this winter for my liking but uh some of it, treadmill running is uh, weather related and some is just getting the miles in while kids are sleeping and I'm still in the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I was lucky uh, yesterday. Um, people always laugh when I say on my videos that the trails are closed because people are like, what, what, yeah. what do you mean the trails are closed? Well, you know, here, if it rains, then they pretty much, the, the parks, uh, the rangers pretty much close the trails for 48 hours just because it doesn't right. rain here. So the ground doesn't absorb. And the waters mm -hmm. just puddle on the trails. So you really can't even get across them without walking through these huge, massive puddles. And uh, luckily, it's dried up enough. And they opened them up yesterday morning, the the place I like to run, which is just down the road here. And uh, all of the, you've probably seen it on the news, all the wildflowers are just blooming in California. And it is more lush than I have ever seen it here. It's never been this green. And, and you know, the, the, the weeds are overhead already. So, wow. Uh, yeah, we were just trying not to slip on the ice yet in the long run. Because <laughs> it, it melts during the day, but then it freezes at night across the pathways. <laughs> yeah. Do you use any sort of um, crampons or anything when you run? I, I haven't used them. Uh, my wife uses them a bit. She runs to work a lot in the winter. Um, the hard thing about those is that, you know, it's never like ice the whole way right. or rarely the ice the whole way. And so like you're almost on and off and they're almost more dangerous when they're on and on pavement. Um, and so you'd be on and off, on and off, on and off. I saw one guy running with him and he had him pulled up his sleeves and they were just like hanging <laughs> off his arms so he could like throw them on quickly. I, I was what is that guy wearing? And then I realized that he just like whips him off his feet, throws them on his arms, keeps running and then puts them back on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I use those. Um, when I was in Vermont, I had, you know, where they're mostly rubber and then they've got the little, the little pieces. I didn't know if those actually would touch the ground with the rubber or if they become the mm. exact opposite, like really yeah. slippery when you end up hitting concrete. I think some of the trails around here right now, they'd probably be pretty good because they're, they're pretty hard packed and icy now. And, um, 
but I've been sticking on most of the uh, kind of the pavement bike trails where I can in the winter. And then when the snow goes, I'll get out on the trails. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully that's soon for you because, uh, yeah, yeah. It might be another, another four weeks or so, hopefully. Yeah. I was teasing, uh, one of the guys saying, uh, you know, cause I'm out running in the sun and he's already, you know, he's giving me a hard time cause it's snowing there and, uh, he's in Minnesota. So it's like, well, you, you might see trails by July. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've had a record snow year here in Ottawa. So it's, uh, Hopefully, hopefully it'll go fast. But then if it goes fast, everybody's worried about flooding. So <laughs> you can't win. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, let's hop into your history, kind of go back so people can get familiar with who you are, kind of where you came from and um, uh, how long you've been running. You, I believe you're um, early 40s, right? Are you 42? Mm -hmm. 43. 43, okay. I'm 42, yeah. so we're right there. I'll be 43 in uh, August. So, um, But let's start. Uh, from kind of the beginning, then we'll move forward. Obviously, as you mentioned, you're married and you've got kids. So we'll, we'll work our way up to that and, and uh, talk about, uh, you know, how you got to where you're at. Sure. Yeah, I was always a really sporty kid uh, growing up. I grew up in Newfoundland on the far east coast of Canada, the most, the most easterly point of North America in St. John's. And um, kind of typical Canadian sporty kid playing a lot of hockey and uh, soccer and basketball and volleyball and all the other school sports and um yeah really uh, really enjoyed it loved hockey but then uh kind of high school or junior high kind of grade eight, grade nine ten i got into uh, water polo i had a friend's brother who was playing water polo and he kind of recruited us and started playing water polo and and got really heavily into that in um kind of high school i ended up quitting the basketball team i figured i could travel around the city going from school to school playing water polo or, I, or basketball or i could get travel around the country going to national championships and tournaments every year um, playing water polo so I, I think i kept at it half for the team and half for the sport and half for the um, half for the travel <laughs> and uh, yeah it was great i loved it Did so you guys play in an indoor really pool water. there oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah our outdoor pools last for two months <laughs> Especially in Newfoundland. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, Ottawa is a bit warmer where we are now, but uh, yeah, and so love that. And then kind of in the uh, last couple of years of high school, I went out and watched a triathlon. Um, and there was a couple of older guys in water polo doing triathlons. And I remember watching my first one and I was like, wow, that, that's amazing. It'd be cool to be able to do that someday. And uh, sure enough, like the next year, I managed to like gave up some money for a used bike and um, then I was 16 and I couldn't be set. You had to be 17 to just do the local triathlon at the time. And, uh, so I said, next year I'm going to do it. And so I started triathlons and, um, I guess the year before that, I, I wanted to do a running race cause I started, I was running for soccer and, um, I said, maybe I'll do a race and maybe I'll do a 10 K cause I've been doing kind of just 10 K runs and there was no more 10 Ks that year, but there was a half marathon coming up in, in a week. So I was like, huh, maybe I'll do that half marathon. I'd never run probably more than 10K in my life. I'm 16. And <laughs> so I signed up for this half marathon. And my parents are trying to talk me out of it. And it's, uh, I think, the Friday before the race. And I said, well, I should probably see if I can run a half marathon before I do the race. This is the Friday before the race. <laughs> and so I go out and I think I manage about 16 kilometers <clears throat> on uh, about, uh, yeah, about 10 miles on the day before or two days before the race. And um, taper. That's it. 
was like, uh, yeah, I, I think I could do it. And that night I'm out to a party with my buddies and tell them about it. And they're like, there's no way you could do that. That's crazy. There's no way. And of course the next day I'm sore. So I can barely walk <laughs> from my taper run. <laughs> and, uh, my parents are like, just don't do it. I was like, no, I told my buddies I was doing it. I, I got to do it now. And so sure enough, I get up Sunday morning and go to the race and it's it's raining. It's probably in Fahrenheit. I guess it's probably 40 degrees and raining out. Just a miserable morning, foggy, drizzle, and uh, windy. And so I do the race. The first 10K is, is pretty good. I'm kind of middle of the pack, I think, because it's an out and back and uh, doing well. But then after that, it was all downhill and um, in terms of my uh, legs and not in terms of the, the terrain. And uh, on the out and back, I saw there was three girls running in last. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not quitting until they pass me. I'm not quitting until they pass me. And so I'm running along and my parents come up to me next to me in their car. And they're like, just get in the car. Just get in the car. Like they couldn't, <laughs> couldn't. It was agony for them watching me hobble along. And I never walked. I, I, I trotted along. And um, I was like, no, no. And then eventually I finished. And there, there, there was like one guy with a clipboard at the finish line. And there's no one around because it's just a miserable day. And I didn't know anything about after parties or receptions or anything. And so they, they kind of push me into the car and we go home and I pass out. And I think I later found out that those three girls had dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about an hour, I wake up and mom comes into my room and they had a friend of theirs in the race as well. And he knocked on the door and he's like, oh, Sean, they're like, well, he's asleep. And they're like, oh, well, he won this for his second place in his age group. And they gave me a medal. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that was my uh, foray into endurance sports was that day. That's um, awesome. When I was 15. And uh, yeah, so then I got, I saw the triathlon and just totally got upset with it, obsessed with it. I got triathlete magazine every month, read it cover to cover and just loved it. Um, this was kind of in the late 90s, or sorry, late 80s, early 90s. And um, kind of last couple of years of high school, first year of university, I lived and breathed triathlon. I was lifeguarding and um, probably did 40 triathlons and uh, yeah, 20, tri 20 or 30 triathlons in like those four years, like everything I could do around the province in Newfoundland and went to a national championships one year just to kind of see where I was at and realized I wasn't really going anywhere anytime soon with that and I better look keep keep staying in university and <laughs> keep doing my studies but uh, um, yeah lived and breathed it was great that's great now what did you study in college yeah I did a, a focus in outdoor education so it's a recreation degree with a focus in outdoor education okay. uh, in university I didn't know what I was going to do I was bouncing forth between business and kind of a phys ed and um, then I got in and heard about this kind of recreation management and sport management. So I was kind of thinking sport management. And then I learned about this kind of experiential education and adventure-based experiential education. So it's um, basically personal growth development um, in the wilderness, oh, wow. leading expeditions. Yeah. So a lot of people are familiar with Outward Bound, um, very similar to that stuff. I actually did an internship at Outward Bound in North Carolina and um, ended up working with the National Outdoor Leadership School, NOLS. Uh, they're based in Wyoming, and uh, that was kind of my mission. Once I first found out about them in second year university, I was like, wow, I'm going to work for them someday. And um, Yeah, went on to have a great career with them, worked with Knowles and kind of in outdoor education on and off for about 15 years, um, 10 years with Knowles, um, traveling the world, leading expeditions. And so that once I moved into outdoor education, I, I moved away from endurance sports because I was essentially living out of my truck for about nine years. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was definitely staying active, but I wasn't uh, living anywhere to be consistently training. I was leading mountaineering, sea kayaking, backpacking, whitewater canoeing, kind of month-long, the three-month-long expeditions. Um, and so I kind of lived where I worked. And when I wasn't working, I was off doing my own travels. Yeah, that's cool. You were, you were living the adventure life at that point. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was a uh, living the dream at the time for yeah, sure. It's funny. I've been doing a lot of research on, uh, uh, kind of van life lately, looking at these you know, yeah. different van videos, watching people and what they've done with these, uh, with these Dodge, um, you know, not sprinters, uh, master pro masters. And, you know, cause I, I have these dreams of taking my girls and us having a van, but, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be quite the roughing life that you had it, but uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a pickup truck with a, with a plywood bed in it and a bunch of Tupperware cases that slid underneath and, and, uh, yeah, it, it worked great. I, I drove three times from Mexico to Alaska. Wow. That was kind of my commute to work. I spent a lot of winters in Baja sailing, backpacking, sea kayaking. And then a lot of summers, I spent six or seven summers in Alaska and the Yukon. That is cool. And, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't quite family life in there, but, uh, it uh, allowed me to travel around with my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, at some point you, uh, yeah. were you running cause well, you were doing adventure stuff. Were you competing during this time or, or doing any? No, I did the odd five or 10 K if I was living in one place. I didn't really actually for nine years, I didn't really live in one place for more than three months. Um, so I, I was staying fit in between expeditions. I'd run just cause I enjoyed running and, and to stay fit. But, uh, I remember when I had a student once on one of my expeditions, they're like, what do you guys do to stay fit for these expeditions and for these trips and that? Because they have like, when they sign up, they get like a six month yeah. kind of workout plan to get to ready for the trip. And <laughs> they're like, what do you guys do? And we're like, uh, we just do trips. Yeah, we just do this all the time. <laughs> this is our life. This is what we do. Um, and I did one big mountaineering expedition. This was a personal trip with some friends on Mount Logan in, in um, northern Canada. And... Um, I found it really hard because I was running to get fit, but I needed to put weight on because it's going to be, it was gonna, like the, we call it the coldest mountain in the world. So I was trying to put weight on, but then I was trying to get fit. I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was living in Mexico at the time, but I'm like, I'm trying to prep here for the coldest mountain in the world. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I know a lot of people that don't want to hear that, that uh, you were, because a lot of, I just saw it the other day, a woman was posting, you know, we started doing marathon training and all the women are gaining weight, <laughs> which is always what happens, right? People think I'm going to do yeah. a marathon, I'm going to lose weight. And then they actually out eat the, uh, the amount That's of running right. they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we used to get people on trips like that too. Sometimes they would, uh, they would bulk up a bit, but, um, yeah. And so I, so I did that for, you know, I always had ever since I was 16, when I started triathlon 17, um, I knew about the Ironman. It was kind of like one day, one day, one day. And um, so that never, ever left my mind. And then as I phased out of kind of leading expeditions full time, I, I knew at some point I'd get burnt out and I'd probably start my own business. I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart, and, um, but I wasn't ready. But eventually I, I you know, I was like, I, I need to live out of a, I need to stop living out of a storage unit and <laughs> get a closet and, you know, maybe have some significant relationships that lasted a little longer. And, um, you know, they're, they're, it's the dream life until until it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, and so kind of in my early 30s, I, I kind of settled down in Vancouver. Um, that's kind of was my base of operations. I had a mailbox there and I'd come through every six months and take care of business and then go on again. But then I kind of rented a place and settled down there to try to figure out my next chapter. And um, yeah, and I started doing a few runs there. I started doing some triathlons in Vancouver. And then eventually, I, after a couple of years in Vancouver, I decided to move back to Newfoundland to, to try things out there. And and that's when I uh, signed up for Ironman Canada, when it was in Penticton at the time in 2009, and uh, figured it was kind of you know the right place, right time. You know, so much of this endurance sports is timing and how it fits into your life schedule, especially in Ironman. Yeah. At the at that time when you were doing them, you had to sign up, you know, the day before the, the, the day after the race, a year out, and uh, and it fills up in four minutes. And um, <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? You know, you 
like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing this time next year. <laughs> I know. I haven't signed up in, I mean, it's been seven years. So I was thinking about uh, as my youngest gets a little older and I say, I, I've been saying I'm not going to do another triathlon until I'm in the next age group. So I have to wait till I'm 45. Uh, but I, I've wondered, is it just as bad, the sign-up process now where it just sells out wow. immediately? Is it still happening? I, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot better because I, I get Facebook ads from Ironman <laughs> saying sign up. I'm like, whoa, they have to advertise to sign up. Now? Interesting. Because you know, I think back then, like my last one was 2011 as well, and um, there was probably seven or eight Ironmans in the world then. But now I think there's like 26 or 30 Ironmans yeah. now. So um, I think once they went corporate, they uh, just blew the doors open and, and added a lot more. So it's it's great that people get to do them all, but I'm not sure if they're all selling out anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing uh, like an Ironman experience, at least when I was doing it, right? No. You do triathlons all the time, um, but there's nothing quite like going to an Ironman, the amount of excitement, the village, just everything about it. It, it is really a great. Yeah. Yeah. They, you can say what you want about Ironman, but they do do a phenomenal job of putting off the races. And I remember my first one and, and just going down to the beach and just seeing everybody training. And so I was like, this is, this is like a Star Trek convention for triathletes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's kind of like if we talk about ultras, you're like, you, you train so much alone and no one, everybody else thinks you're crazy. And you're like, there's got to be no one else out there doing this. And you show up and there's like, oh, there's 2,000 people that are just like me. Yep. Yep. So, was, uh, so now at this point, um, I don't know what came first. It sounds like you, you, know, you either started your business or you, uh, did you meet your wife before that? or Yeah, it was all around the same time. And so I... I as I got out of the expeditions, I, I kind of loosely started this adventure travel company for high school groups, trying to do uh, kind of multi-sport volunteerism. So doing some volunteer work, some um, in India and um, Ecuador and Africa, places I've been and had contacts. And um, and that was 2008, right when you know the economy was tanking. And and then you talk to an insurance company, and they're just like, okay, what type of business do you have? And I'm like, well, it's youth, and it's adventure travel, and it's third world country. <laughs> and like, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Talk to buddy down the street. Wow. And so I was having a hard time with that. And then uh, you know, as I I moved back to Newfoundland and kind of rewrote a business plan, and and that kind of made me realize I, I did a couple trips. I had a couple of school groups come to Newfoundland. Actually, they were really interested in Newfoundland, and I think I just talked about it so much and. Um, but I realized that like, I'm, I'm trying to get out of this lifestyle to stop leading trips. And here I am creating a company that, at least for the first few years, <laughs> I'm going to lead trips. Um, and, and while I was kind of the last few years, I was working for Knowles and the expeditions. I started working a bit in the marketing department, doing some slideshows and, and some presentations, helping their marketing, but some slideshows from some of the personal expeditions I'd been on. And, and so I really got into kind of public speaking. And um, just before I left Vancouver, I, I went to a professional speakers conference. Uh, that a friend had told me about. And that kind of was another light bulb moment for me. And I was like, wow, this whole career of kind of keynote public speaking, sharing some stories and wisdom and, and, and some lessons from your experiences. And I was like, I think I have some somewhat unique experiences. And, um, and so, yeah, I dove right into um, professional speaking and, and keynote speaking. And so as I got to Newfoundland, I, I, yeah, I definitely went into professional speaking. And then um, so speaking for a lot of conferences on keynotes, kind of leadership topics, utilizing kind of leadership lessons with some expedition stories and some, you know, some images from some mountains and some oceans around Very the world. Cool. And, um, yeah, and that, that's that's been great. And then, you know, I was working with corporations, they're like, hey, can you come in and, you know, do a program with us? Can you do a, can you take us kayaking for the weekend or can you do a team building? And um, and so that's, yeah, that was kind of been my core business, I guess, for the last uh, seven or eight years is um, kind of corporate leadership training, 
a blend of court, um, keynote speaking and then kind of uh, offsite retreat type stuff. So you're still traveling quite a bit then? A little bit. Like the last two or three years, that, that business has taken a bit of a backseat as I've been uh, more parenting. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask about, uh, you know, parenting and, and dealing with that and, and the travel. Yeah. And so it, it is a business that, that does require to travel. It's kind of like when you're at home, you're not making money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but um, it's uh, and it, a lot of it's trying to diversify too and have other income sources. And um, problem about the speaking business, it's hard to scale because if you're not on stage, you're um, you know, you're not, you're not creating an income Yeah. Uh, and, and having a, a young family. Um, so you actually, I'll backtrack a little bit. You might have asked about my wife. So when I moved back to Newfoundland in 08, um, I moved back, I moved back in June and my wife moved there in June and we met in August. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, both yeah, and we, yeah, exactly. So I was, I'd kind of heard of her being in town and I was like, oh, maybe I should get in touch with her. Uh, I heard she was a swimmer and, and she was a resident at the hospital at the time and, um, and so I got in touch with her and went for a bike ride and we actually ended up in the same email group for this group that was going to train for Ironman Canada together. Um, and so that's how I, I first connected with her. So she sounds uh, yeah. pretty athletic. You're saying uh, she runs to work earlier. Uh, so yeah. she does quite a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's pretty phenomenal. She's actually an Olympian. She's an Olympic swimmer. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. When she was 15, she <laughs> was that's uh, incredible. on the Canadian Olympic swim team. And, um, yeah, so she's been, she actually did an Ironman before she met me while she was in med school because there wasn't enough work in med school, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in 2006. And then we did it again and together in 2008 while she was a resident. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of, it seems like a lot of athletes, uh, that you have on the show, like their, their spouses are supportive, but, <laughs> but not interested in doing it. Yeah, exactly. It just depends, right? It's finding that, uh, like me, right? My wife, um, she likes social exercising and it being a social thing and getting together with the girls and you pull out a Scrabble board and it's game on, right? She's super competitive, but when it comes to fitness, um, she's yeah. not, which I think, uh, for me, it's a good balance because it allows me to 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 do as much as i i want um but i do often imagine or think about you know uh trail running together or bike riding together things mm -hmm. like that and how um that's that must be nice yeah i imagine that too <laughs> someday we'll get to do it again <laughs> we'll see we, we used to do it a fair bit before the kids <laughs> that's the one good thing though with having the supporter spouse when you have kids you know there's not this battle for well i want to go for a three-hour trail run well i want to go for a two-hour bike <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She's got a very demanding work schedule. So I think sometimes it, it weighs on her the, the amount of tra training that I try to get in and do. And she's like, well, I want to do that, but I can't because of work. And then when I'm not working, I feel guilty I'm not with the kids. And, um, so she's a doctor. It, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so she's, um, she's super busy. And, um, but, you know, fits her. That's why she runs and bikes to work because uh, that's when she can fit her fitness yeah. in. Um, what does she specialize in? Yoga class. And she's a spine surgeon, oh, wow. yeah. orthopedics. Yeah. So she's, uh, she's very accomplished. She's, uh, you know, a very classic overachiever and, um, a wonderful in every way and wants to be, you know, the best mom ever. And also, you know, be the best, uh, patient, uh, doctor for her patients ever. And, um, yeah. And so she's just starting her second year in practice now. So we've been traveling around. This was our fourth house in four years and three countries and, or three cities and two countries. Yeah. The last like five years we've been in Calgary, England, or Newfoundland, Calgary, England, now Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, and our kids are now one, five, and seven. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. So one, yeah, having a one-year-old, that's, um, 
that's a lot of work still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure is. Yeah, and she was born nine days before he moved from England to Ottawa. <laughs> so, Man, so she was on a, we used awesome. to say that our daughter was, uh, you know, we felt that we took her on a plane quick because it was almost, mm -hmm. I mean, it was right around a month when she flew cross country oh, yeah. for the first time. Um, but nine days. Yeah, nine days. We were, you know, we looked around like, is there any reason she can't fly? And we never really found any reason. And, and uh, you know, we had to get an emergency passport because she didn't have a passport. Yeah. And, we're, and we're in England. And so at, at like four days old, we, we were living in Oxford and we had to go into London an hour away at four days old, bring her in and get a passport and fill out all the paperwork, get an emergency passport. And people are like, so she's four weeks old? I'm like, no, no, four days. <laughs> and it's like, why are you traveling? Uh, yeah, exactly. We don't like to do things the easy way, but... Um, you know, we're here. It's a permanent position here now. She's finished her training. So uh, we're settling in, in Ottawa nicely. Yeah. Well, that's nice, though, that's been able to, as she's transitioned, obviously, in uh, her medical career, uh, and you having your own business, it's allowed you to spend more time. Uh, sounds like parenting and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I call myself the primary care parent. I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't call myself a stay-at-home dad because I have too many other things going on <laughs> at the same time. But uh yeah, definitely. You know, the sick days, I'm the one that's picking them up and taking them wherever they need to go and, and doing all that doing stuff, all the which, is, which has been a, you know, a transition for me too. You know, it's not, um, I, I connect a lot with, um, with other at-home dads or dads that work from home. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we don't grow up picturing ourselves in this position. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we take it on and, um, do the best for what, what we can. And, uh, that's, that's what I want to do. And, you know, I think I, I always need to have something else going on myself, um, including my training, but just kind of more mentally stimulating with my business work. And, uh, um, but definitely, you know, family's got to become a number one priority and it's great that I'm in a position to be able to be around to help out and go in on the afternoon and help out for science activity days and go in for skating lessons and volunteer for that. And so. I can demand my, yeah, pick my own schedule when I'm not traveling. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So then, and then, oh, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to get fast forward to where we are now. We're not really so fast forward. So yeah, I started, I did a couple triathlons, did, I did a couple Ironmans. I was doing other triathlons in 09 and then 11. Actually, my wife was pregnant with our first child when I did my last Ironman. So uh, that was the, the, I think I've maybe done one or two triathlons since then, but um, not big ones. And then uh, I kind of got into marathon running. Um, because it was just a lot easier to do than Ironman training in terms of, you know, you can pick your schedule, oh, yeah. as you know. Um, That's the exact reason I got out of doing Ironman was once we had our kids, it was like uh, getting away for a five-hour bike on a Saturday. It, yeah. it just took so much more coordination than running out the door. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that's why I think, I, I know definitely I appeal to your your show and, and your, your talks and that, and I think others is that um, – like so many times I'm listening to you and just shaking my head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> because there, there's so many YouTube videos out there from pro triathletes and pro runners and they're telling about their life and you're like, I, I just can't relate to that. <laughs> yeah, totally. But right. I think so many people relate to where you are. Yeah. I like, I like, you know, I like watching those videos just because you try and get some tips or some motivation, <laughs> but yeah, there's still something about someone that is very similar to you that you can connect with and, and really understand. It's hard to understand the, yeah, oh, I'm, on my third training session today and in between it's such a job to right. eat and it's just like, right. yeah, I can't relate. I just had my two hour <laughs> nap and <laughs> there's my buddy over there making my dinner for me. And <laughs> yeah. It's more like I had my two hour, uh, sleep for the night is more like, right. Right. right exactly. <laughs> two hours straight sleep. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got into marathons and, and, uh, ended up doing Boston a couple of times. 
my first Boston was in 2013, um, the year of the bomb. So that was a, wow. a significant experience. Yeah. I ended up being about 60 feet away from the second bomb when it went off. Um, I did not realize that. Yeah, I was in um, I was in a restaurant. I'd finished and met some buddies, and I made reservations for this restaurant, which is right on Boylston Avenue, the kind of the, the finishing shoot, like two months earlier. And uh, so we were just waiting outside to go in, and I'd basically stopped. We're about to go in. I stopped. I was like, I just want to stop and watch the shoot for a bit because I'd just finished the race, and I just wanted to absorb the whole scene and watch people finishing, and, and it was just such an incredible scene. And so we were outside, and then my buddy's like, okay, I'm going to go get our table. And then I went inside a couple minutes later and I just sat down. We hadn't, I think, I don't think they came with water yet. And the, the first bomb went off and, uh, we thought it was, uh, we thought it was maybe the TV monitor massive thing tipped over bleachers or something. You know, you're not thinking bomb. And then I think it was 12 seconds later, the second one went off right outside the door. Um, like the windows smashed in next door and, um, everybody came flooding in and then we were just, yeah, out the back door. Oh my goodness. So that was. That was a, a significant experience. Um, yeah, we planned to take a taxi to the ferry. We were going to go back to the suburbs where my buddy lived and end up walking for an hour to get over I there. I just imagine the city just shutting down, coming to a halt. Yeah, yeah. One of the big feelings I remember having then is like, you know, we're trying to get our ass out of here as fast as we can, like just whatever direction we can go away from this area. We didn't know what was going on. And then I like, just had an overwhelming sense of like, these all these first responders are just like flocking in, you know, like... <laughs> It's just like it gives you such appreciation for those people in those times, those first responders that are just like yeah, they're running towards it, right? Right, and they don't know if there's a third bomb. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a phenomenal um, experience that uh, hopefully I never have to live again. But um, glad I got through. You got it to go back then. And, yeah, sorry, and um, so in 2016 I ended up going back, but this time I went back with my wife, so she'd qualified as mm. well. And, um, and we took our kids, we had two kids at the time. And, and so we, we brought a friend over that was going to watch the kids during the race. And so yeah, it was, it was a real, it was almost like closure for yeah. me. Uh, I'd never been back in Boston since. And, um, the day before the race, we went and got our race kit and then went over to that restaurant where I, um, where I was at the time. And it, like, like tears were just coming down my eyes when I walked in the door, it was just like flashback. And, um, I'd emailed the manager before I came and she was said she's going to be around and she was actually there that day too. And, so we had a chat for a bit and uh, I'd made reservations to go there again the next day to finally have that meal that I've been yeah. wanting <laughs> after the race. And um, yeah, it was, it was cool. And it was cool to have my family there and the kids there. And um, yeah, so the race, you know, it, neither race went well in terms of race times and races go, but at the same time, it was the best race you could ever do. And for me, it was just like the whole experience. Is I have to ask going back, was it nerve wracking? Um, the yeah, second time, just not really yeah. like I'm, I wasn't, no, like I, I realized in my head that this, you know, this wasn't a, a marathon bomb. This was, this was a, like a terrorism bomb that could have been anywhere. And, you know, these guys were planned to do the first of July, but they had their bomb ready. So Boston was next. So let's, let's do that. Like it had nothing to do with that race. And yeah, I don't, I don't really too get too worked up on that in terms of like potential. Cause I've done a lot of other stuff and traveled to a lot yeah. of other dangerous places and <laughs> anything can happen. So, um, it was more like got to get back on the horse kind of thing. Like let's get back there. Let's get through this. Um, now obviously you know, you're a fairly fast runner if you qualified for, for Boston. Yeah. I, I you know, it's all relative. Everybody wants to get faster. Um, but yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, it's one of those things like I think I've done six or seven marathons now. And, you know, my second one was my fastest. Wow. And at, at the time it was on my home, my home marathon route. Mm -hmm. 
and um, and I just knew it inside out and had a good day. And uh, I think it was two fifty seven. Yeah, that's and, great. Um, I was kind of aiming that second time for Boston for two fifty three, um, which I think I had it in my legs. Buddy, my training partner had kind of done that on a different course, but Boston's a really challenging course to to get a good time. Some people pull it off, but um, that second time, it's it's. I'll keep it quick. It's a good story, but it's almost worth not having a good race because the first I, I qualified at three ten, which was a bit slower than I was hoping for. Yeah, I was going to so ask, I what is our second. qualifying time now? It's not three fifteen, is it? Like, I think it might yeah, be. That's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, it might be that. It, it, they, they've been changing it and moving it up. I think the last couple of years, um, and so I qualified at three ten, which put me in the second wave. Usually, I'm in the first wave. But so my pace was like I was trying to go for 253. And so my pace was at a first wave pace. So I just went off at the second wave and just got luck on my watch and try to keep on my pace. And within a mile, I turn around and, and there's nobody around me. I'm like leading the second wave because, you know, they're all trying to do 315 to 330. And uh, but I'm just you know, it felt like I just went out way too fast. You know, there's always those kids up front that just go way too fast. And I was like, no, I'm on my pace. And um and the first wave had gone 10 minutes earlier, and I had my name on my jersey. And uh, so all the spectators are sitting around. They haven't cheered for 10 minutes. And so everybody sees me, and they're like, go, Sean, go, go, go. And I just felt like I was winning the Boston Marathon for a half an hour. <laughs> and it was just phenomenal. I turn around, and just see like a wave of runners coming at me. And some guy runs up to next to me. He's like, do you, ever, do you feel like you're winning? And he's like, this is nuts. And um, so I think for the first maybe – six miles or so that like totally got the wind under my legs and uh i just like blew my load i just went so hard um i thought i was on my watch but then eventually i had got my mile split on my watch and it was like 30 seconds a mile faster than i was supposed to be going <laughs> <laughs> and then by 10 miles I, I like i knew my day was done i you know i jogged it in for for the last bit and finished the race for sure but um i was like oh it was pretty cool you were that rabbit but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, I'll never get that feeling again of like leading a race, especially something that big. But um, yeah, so it's a hard race to, to do, you know, a great time in. But at the same time, you know, to have, you know, half a million to a million people out cheering for you. And I can only imagine, and, uh, especially if you get a nice day. Um, last year was such a horrible day, but uh, if you can get a nice day. But I think that, that fastest time I had that, that run, I, I ran with a guy yesterday who's doing his first marathon in his group run. And I was like, you know, he's doing his first run in the city here. And I was like, you better get on that course. And you should know, like, there's no reason not to know every step of that course if, it's your, if you're running a home marathon. And I was like, I knew every rise. I knew it, like the step count to get up every little slope in that course. And, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that helps. It's hard when you go to a, an area you've never been before, especially for a marathon that you're trying to go hard at. Um, because you know, you come around a corner, you're like, Oh no, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you watch, you know, these professional runners, how they, they know the course so well, they know when they come around a corner, what angle they should be running at to make it as short as possible to get from here to there and, and not hugging yeah. the corners and staying to the sides. I mean, there is something to knowing exactly where you're headed the whole way. Absolutely. Yeah. They'll go to a training camp, you know, on the course like months before and, and that, but we don't, we don't usually get that luxury to do that. Yep. <laughs> Maybe with a Swift, we might get a video or something that we can watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I did a few of those and then my last Boston was in 2016. And then that's kind of how I moved into ultra. I didn't have a great race there. I was really fit. I had my personal best half marathon, like three weeks before Boston. It, I think it was 121. And, uh, 
so I was like, I knew that I was fit and ready and then I had a bad race and then I just beat myself up for it, you know? And, uh, just like, why you're so bad. You're such an idiot. Just talking stuff down. I was, I had a coach that winter and I'd been going to track practices all winter in the cold. And anyway, um, it was nice to do it with my wife. And the one bonus of that all winter long, we did, um, Thursday nights, we had track practice at this indoor, um, speed skating oval in Calgary. That's where we were living at the time. A great location, great facility. And, uh, People are like, how do you manage with your wife training for the same race? And it is challenging, especially when you're on the same race because you're on the same oh, schedule. Yeah. Um, so she'd like do sad, Saturday run, long run Saturday. I would do a long run Sunday. But then Thursday night was date night. And so we'd, we'd get a, we got a babysitter from December to April every Thursday night. That's nice. Same kid around the corner. And then we'd go to the track and then we'd leave the track and we'd go to a coffee shop and get a brownie or something <laughs> and uh, kind of wait, wait for the babysitter to put the kids to bed. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's always like, okay, it's uh, for us, it's around 830. It's like, okay, they've got to be asleep. It's close to nine. We can go home now. Yeah, that's exactly it. One time it was a little early and I, I went in and like, we forgot money. So I went in the back door and like snuck in. I could hear them like reading stories. <laughs> and I got some money and went snuck out Just the go sit door. in the car until they're asleep. There's something about being able to come home and them being asleep. It's not enough uh, just to have the babysitter. Absolutely. It's not to have to do yeah. the nighttime routine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, once they see you, then that's another half an hour. Oh, yeah. Of like, ah! yeah so um so that was a good part that winter we did get that quality time together and uh and that was fun but uh yeah so after boston i was like i don't want to i don't want to train for six months all out do all the speed work to like get another four minutes on my marathon time um i want a new challenge a challenge that i don't know if i'm going to finish yeah like i'm not worried about finishing a marathon at this point you know because i'd done enough and then i knew i could do the distance and so that's kind of where ultra came in and it had been on my radar for a long time but again another life schedule and we moved to england for a year and how are we going to fit all this in and then babies and all that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So last year I, I took the plunge. I've got a good buddy that was, um, been in ultras for a few years and kind of talked me into it and, um, signed up for the Vermont 100 for the 100 K, not the 100 mile. Yeah. And, I uh, keep saying that I, I have to do that at some point just cause my wife's from there. It's kind of one of those things that I feel, feel like I, I can get away with saying I'm going to do that race and it's a vacation. <laughs> right yeah exactly there you go i was trying to fit those in um and you can have some support around or at least they'll have somewhere to yeah go. exactly she'll know the and, area uh, I, learned, I learned so much with that so in prep for that last year i did a, um, a six-hour race which is an interesting uh concept doing an uh, a time limit race so it's like basically it was uh kind of a seven kilometers probably about a five mile loop um in around the ski hill in the area and so it was all trails all woods like bog and mud and rock and there's a lot of uphill walking and downhill walking yeah. <laughs> it was pretty steep um but it's basically do as many as you can in six hours and um i had no idea what i was getting into for that but uh that was kind of my prep for the 100k and and that went really well i just started in the back and just wanted to take it easy i found it really hard last year i don't know if you found like going from marathon well i guess you've never done standalone marathon no, that's a, that's one thing from, i say i'm gonna do someday yeah Going from marathon training to ultras, I found it really hard just like dialing it back, dialing it back because you, you get pace times in your, yeah, pace times because you get pace times in your head and, and I'd go out for a long run, especially if I wasn't on the trails, if I was on the bike paths or whatever around here on pavement and I would just be going way too hard, you know, like I got to slow it down, slow it down and then it's really hard to slow down. <laughs> um, once you get in the hills and you got mountains in front of you and you're going up steep stuff, it's a little easier, but um, on your regular, you know, pavement routes, 
Uh, I had a hard time dialing it back. So I was worried on when I got in these ultras, I was just going to go out way too hard. So I, I purposely started in the very back of the group and I just kind of worked my way through people all day long for the six hours. And yeah, yeah, that worked out well. I ended up winning that race, which was a surprise. Oh, wow. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a fun way. I ended up, um, the last lap I came in like 10 minutes before the six hour cutoff. So I was like, Oh, this is great. And the guy's like, no, no, you got to do another lap. If you got to, if you're going to finish, I was like, no, I thought I was done. So you actually had to go out and uh, did you did you finish the whole lap or did they turn you around when it's yeah, done? So, or? so this one guy came in just before me. I didn't even realize because you're off in the woods. You don't even know what place you're in until like at the six hour mark or 10 minutes before six hours. And um, I saw this guy just ahead of me in there. And so the announcer's like, okay, you guys got to go out for your second lap. And this guy looked over me. He's like, are you going? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And my family was there now waiting. They thought like, they could pick me up at the six hour mark and there's mosquitoes around <laughs> and my wife's got the three kids. And I was like, I kind of look over. I was like, honey, I kind of need to do this if I want to win. <laughs> and it's about 45 minute lap. So it wasn't going to be super yeah. quick. And, uh, and I don't know if I waited for a response. I just kind of kept moving. <laughs> and, and I looked over at this guy who was, he was, you know, they have a little transition spot where they can get your, your own food and stuff. And so I think he sat down or he kind of looked a bit demoralized when he was like, Oh, we got to go again. And so I kind of eyed at him and I was like, it looks like he's moving slow. I'm not sure if he's going to go. And so I just like, I didn't even take any water. I think I grabbed a goo, threw it in my pocket and took off. <laughs> and uh, Hopefully I could get him. And, and I kept looking back and I had, didn't see him moving. And then about two or 300 meters from that start line, you start going up this like chairlift of a ski hill. And, um, and I, I just before I went started to go up, I turned around and saw him, and he was coming. And I was like, "Oh boy, here we go!" And um, anyway, by the time I got to the ski, I looked down, and he was nowhere to be seen. So I was like, "I don't know if he's coming or not." But uh, so I went off and did that last lap, and it turned out that he'd turned around and went back to the start oh, finish. Didn't this. even do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, that was a good experience, and. Uh, yeah, it was neat. So I, I might do that one this year. Might be I might they have a twelve hour one at the same time. So I'm not sure if that's too many laps after twelve hours. But after seeing your race uh, last weekend, <laughs> I can't complain about yeah, 128 a laps. My buddy did two hundred laps. Oh, <laughs> it's funny in the beginning. It's it's kind of fun because you feel like oh I'm ticking them down, ticking them down, and then I don't know that after forty or forty five, all of a sudden it's like oh that was just a half mile. You know, they, they start going over, they start going yeah. so much slower. <laughs> oh man. I, I don't know how you guys did that. I have a hard time doing like 800s on a track, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I did that. And then I went to Vermont and did the 100 and learned so many things. That's the cool thing about doing a new, like ultra running. I almost find it's almost a new sport yeah. and, and you learn so much. Like I've been doing endurance racing, running and triathlons since I was 16 and I'm still learning so much which is exciting. And, um, you know, I had my family come, we drove down from Ottawa. We left the baby with some friends, but had the five-year-old and seven-year-old with us. And we camped out at this like dingy campground about a mile or two from the, from the area. We should have stayed at the, uh, the race place had a campground, but we thought it might be too noisy. But anyway, we stayed at this place and, um, yeah, like you're used to marathons. They come out and watch you, maybe meet you at a couple different spots and they see you or they, they can find you on their phone and track where you're at. And like, you can't do any of that. Yeah, like, totally well, really different to experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this race, the Vermont 100, like you don't do anything twice. So it's not like there's no loops or anything. There's different checkpoints, but they have a shuttle bus that can take you around to these checkpoints because they're so hard to get to, or there's no parking at it because it's off in the mountains somewhere. And um, and then the cell reception is horrible and, and we're got Canadian cell phones. So they're like even worse <laughs> trying to, trying to pick up any reception. And, and, uh, as I was at 
getting the race check-in the day before, like two o'clock in the afternoon, I felt my stomach just kind of grumble. And then I started getting burps, these sulfur burps. And I've had them before. And I know it's kind of like whether it's giardia or some kind of stomach bug. I was like, this is not good. Usually it follows up with diarrhea in 24 hours and you kind of out and then it goes away. But it's like, not now. No, no. I've been training for like since January. Yeah. This is July. Like, oh, I've been training for six months for this what thing. What time of year is that race? Now, this is in July. July 20th, 26th. Right, so it's humid as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you put so much effort in. I was like, oh, there's no way. So we check in that night, go to bed in the tent. And uh, I think I got up for a couple of diarrheas and the next morning diarrhea. And then uh, my energy still felt okay. But I know I was just trying to pound some water and then started the race. And about 40K in, I was just like dying. I was like, what is going on? Like I did some 60K trail runs. And I couldn't believe it. Um, sorry. And uh, why well, I was <laughs> figure out why I was feeling this way. And, uh, I stopped at an aid station at 40 K and lay in the grass for like five minutes. I told some guys like, wake me up in five minutes if I don't, if I don't wake up and I didn't sleep, but I managed to get to 50 K and towards 50 K I was running with this guy that I'd met the night before at the reception. And I was like, when are you thinking about finishing? Cause I was hoping to finish around seven or eight o'clock at night. That's what I told my wife and maybe nine, but before dark for sure. And um, he's like, oh, I, I'm happy to be finished by midnight. I was like, midnight? Is that the pace? <laughs> and so my head, like, one, I'm feeling horrible because I got the stomach bug and I just have no electrolytes and I'm, I'm down and out. But the other side of my head, I'm like, I can't have the kids up till midnight. They're going to be waiting for me. Like, I, I, I can't, I need to drive back to the campsite. Like, there's no communication. So, so many things are going through my head. And so I got to the 50K aid station. I was hoping they might be there. Turns out they were at the next aid station at like the 60K oh. one. At 50K, and I just lay down in the – that was like the big aid station. They had a big med tent there. So I lay there. I didn't been there for like a half an hour and just pounding and pounding. And I kind of had in my head, I was like, I'm done. Like partly – big part because I'm sick and I'm, I'm like, you know, time cutoffs, I was doing fine. And I could probably walk it in. But I'm like, it's not like a marathon. You walk it in for an extra half an hour. No. You know, <laughs> I don't want to walk it in for an extra four hours like later. Like, that's not what I came here for. That's not what I trained all winter for. And um, and I did feel horrible. And um, – and then they were just like, oh, we're worried about your sulfur levels, this and that. I think, I think we're going to call an ambulance. And I was like, oh, I don't need an ambulance. Like, just put me in the shuttle bus and get me back to the finish, you know. And, and then a couple minutes, they came back later. And they're like, yeah, ambulance on the way. It's like, oh, no. Wow. <laughs> like, my family is like, and I have a pacer. that, that, that the, or the race organizer set up a pacer for me. They're like, they're waiting for me. My family's somewhere in the mountains of Vermont waiting for me. And now I'm getting an ambulance to the yeah, hospital. Yeah, that's the last thing you want them to hear is, oh, yeah, he's uh, headed to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And so I end up going like, they're trying to put an IV in me in the ambulance while we're driving <laughs> <laughs> and the mountain roads in Vermont. I've never seen an ambulance. They had to pull over. He tried like a couple times to put an IV in me. Like I'm just so dehydrated, no veins anywhere. <laughs> he couldn't see anything. And anyway, they pull over, they eventually get one in me and it was a mess. And so I get the hospital and now I'm trying to find out like, how in the world do I get in touch with my wife? Like, um, and so I'm like calling my parents in Newfoundland to try to get them to text my wife. And there's somebody in the bed next to me behind the curtain in emergency that I could tell was from the race as well. And his wife was there. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. Can I use your phone? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just a mess trying to get. So like I learned those lessons, you know, in a marathon, like, yeah, like it could find you. But in, in, it's like maybe don't bring the family next time or like I'll call you when we're done. <laughs> yeah. Even just, it's funny. I found, I mean, nothing that extreme, but even I'll, I'll, I'll go out for a long training run and my wife will be like, Oh, so you'll be home by 10. It's always like, 
I could be cutting it close. Let's just call it 11, right? Just, you don't want that extra stress of having yeah. to worry about, oh, you know what? I got sidetracked or I ended up taking a longer route or, and I can only imagine being in a race. Um, you know, I haven't done any major races where my kids have come with me. Um, I remember being in my second, second Ironman and I had gone way too hard, didn't drink anything on the bike and I'm just walking on the run. And I told my wife, I don't even remember it, but she tells the story at, at some point I'm on the run. I'm like, just go home. I'll, I'll meet you there. I'll, and she's like, we're in Arizona. I don't, I can't just go home. I'm like, just, just go home. I'll find a ride home. I was just so gone. <laughs> and you end yeah, up being more stressed yeah. about them having to be out there yeah, waiting for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I ended up signing up for a hundred miler this summer. So I'm doing my first hundred miler as well. Wow. Very cool. And Which one is it? It's called the Sinister Seven. Sinister. It's in the Rockies in Alberta. Sounds uh, south of Calgary. Bad. Yeah. I think there's close to 20,000 feet of elevation. Um, decided to pick an easy one to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, well, to tell you the truth, I, I knew it about the race for a few years. It was on my radar, but it actually worked out with a family vacation. <laughs> 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 so we, my wife is from Calgary, and we'd already had flights booked to go to the Stampede and stuff. And uh, anyway, we're uh, so I'm like, what are the chances of that race happening that weekend we're in Calgary? Let me check. Oh, no, it is happening. Oh, no, now I got to do it. Yeah, exactly. So. Is she, is she likes that or is she always like really yeah she was a bit of it like that <laughs> she, i think she'd rather do that than have to book another trip somewhere else yeah <laughs> but um i'm not sure if they're going to come down i might just grab a buddy and say can you support me for the weekend and uh leave them at home <laughs> at their at her parents yeah, exactly yeah then you don't have to worry about that stress yeah exactly i don't want that well, cool. Well, let's get into, obviously, we've talked all about that. And one of the main reasons we started chatting was your yeah. nutrition and your, your, your diet. And at some point you made a, a change, I assume, from being a just typical eater, meats and vegetables and all of that. And you made a major shift. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. And um, I guess it was probably 2015, three or four years ago now, we... Uh, my fam, my wife and I decided uh, to move to a vegan diet. So, a f you know, vegan diet means a lot of different things. We try to call it a whole food plant-based diet. Um, I tell people a vegan diet is a bag of chips and a Coke, <laughs> or can be. But um, we try to eat as close as we can to a whole food plant-based, so, you know, minimally processed food. And um, it was my wife at first. I think, uh, I think she'd heard maybe on a podcast somewhere that it helps with running injuries. It can help... Re uh, it can help um, recover from injuries better being on a whole food plant-based diet and she'd had this hamstring industry that was nagging and she was about to do her boston qualifier and she was you know you get at your wits end you're like i'll try anything <laughs> <laughs> so mainly it was moving for health reasons um not so much animals or you know for yep. those reasons it was, it was a reason to try and improve fitness or recover from injuries yeah that, that was that was the first that was kind of our foreway yeah. into kind of the vegan the vegan lifestyle um and, you know, we've always been athletes, we've always been fit. And, you know, we weren't like the typical people that seem to go vegan that had some kind of health issue. Like we, we were obviously healthy marathon runners. Um, so we didn't have any massive health issues. People were like, did you notice a huge difference? And I was like, well, not a huge difference. Like there were some differences, but we were, we were healthy people. I didn't have a chronic disease or anything. Um, 
it just, you know, we watched a few documentaries. Forks Over Knives was a big uh, documentary for me. It's on Netflix. And watching that, it was like, this just makes sense to us. It just, it just clicked. And it was like, wow, there's a better way of causing, you know, reversing diabetes. And there's a better way of avoiding heart disease and a lot of cancers. And, and it was just like, why not? <laughs> um, was kind of our thing. My wife being kind of the hardcore she is, she went cold turkey uh, one day. She's like, I'm done. <laughs> and uh, did a 30-day challenge. So she was doing a program that every thir- every day they send you different kind of meal plans and recipes and quotes and stuff. And she did that for 30 days and never looked back. I, I kind of took three months to transition. transition slowly. Yeah. It's one of those things you got you to do when you're ready for yourself, yeah. right? No one can tell you this is what you need to do you know um what's and, and yeah so, it's so much more than just not eating meat right which is the the hard part for me yeah. to wrap my head around because i am a major meat eater and and it's so much more beyond that when you start to think about vegan from the standpoint of animal products and all of the things you have to change right so absolutely yeah a lot of people i like the phrase that uh, i heard recently it was like a lot of people come and they say Come for your health, stay for the animals. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and kind of once you get into the world of kind of veganism, then your, your, your eyes open up and you learn about, you know, the animal agricultural industry and you learn about the environmental impact of, of that industry. And, and so you learn about the environment and the agriculture. And um, yeah, and we've just kind of we've flourished on it. It's been great. Um, all three kids are eating a whole food plant-based diet. Um, you know, when we travel, it can be a little challenging, but you just got to plan ahead a little bit. We pack a lot of snacks and, um, you know, maybe if we're eating vegetarian for a couple of days here or there or a meal here and there, like, so be it. Um, you know, I love the quote that, you know, perfection gets in the way of progress. Yeah. So, uh, you know, are we a hundred percent perfect vegans all the time? You know, absolutely not. But, but we try to be the most we can and, and it's easy at home. People are like, how did you do it? It's like, it's easy at home. You don't just have any meat products in your house. Yeah, exactly. You and can get a, sterilize get a few the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Get a few cookbooks and, and away you go. Um, and so, yeah, it, it hasn't, it hasn't really, you know, been, a, been a huge challenge at all. It's, um, sometimes social circles, it's, it gets challenging. We probably don't get invited out to eat as much as we probably did before, <laughs> but that might also be because we have three young kids too. Yeah, exactly. That, that's probably a major um, factor. Yeah, we have people over all the time. And, you know, I would say probably 95% of my friends aren't vegan. You know, we're still new in Ottawa here. And so we're developing a community and I've got a, some communities online that I connect with. But um, yeah, it's been it's been really good. I think it's been been good for our running. Like I, I think I mentioned, you know, I had some personal bests like in the last three years. And, you know, I think I've been running since I was 16. And at 42, I had my fastest PB 10K at 36 minutes. And, um, you know, who knows if that's all because of that. But I I'd like to put some of it up to yeah. it. Uh, weight is never an issue. I'm probably trying to put more weight on now than anything. Yeah, that's always um, been one of my fears. I think it's so ingrained in me, the the low-carb diet and coming from uh, you know CrossFit and being so f- involved in functional fitness and weightlifting and wanting to or using protein and thinking of protein as the way that you're going to build muscle and put on mass where it's slightly different with ultra running. I'm, I'm trying to shed some of that, but I still look at that as one of my, you know, the main food group, the main thing I'm getting, um, you know, a lot of the muscle building pieces from. And for you, where are you getting protein from? Yeah. And that's, that's the, the age old question that every vegan athlete gets. And, um, you know, a couple different comebacks that we have not necessarily comebacks. One is there's protein in everything. Um, no one ever has a protein deficiency unless you're have some kind of chronic disease in hospital. Um, uh, 
a lot of times I'll ask people, especially like my mother, when she's asking me that is, well, how much protein do you need? And <laughs> most people have no answer to that. I have no idea. You know, like the average male adult, I think they say needs about 50 grams of protein a day. Yeah. And the average male adult probably gets 200 grams of protein a day. I heard it's a pound <laughs> um, per lean muscle mass. So I just try and get as big as yeah. possible so I can eat as much as possible. <laughs> right. But they're... Um, so yeah, the, the, I don't I don't have an easy answer. I don't take any protein supplements. Um, there, there's tons of protein and kale and broccoli and spinach and all your vegetables, um, all your grains. Everything has protein in it. Some have more than others. Um, I was curious if you used like a hemp protein or did you use any sort of soy-based um, soy products or anything like that? I was curious what your thoughts on that were. Yeah, all the kind of research I've done for like the, you know, the type of lifestyle and activities that I'm doing is, you know, you don't need any supplements. There's tons of vegan protein powders out there now on the market. There's a bunch. Um, and if I was probably into weightlifting more or into, you know, figure competitions or whatever, or bodybuilding, I, I'd probably be on those. Um, but uh, yeah, our protein levels are fine. I get blood work every kind of six months or so. Um, there's never been a deficiency. The only um, deficiency you can't really get uh, or a vitamin you can't get from a vegan diet very much anyway is B12. Okay. Uh, and so they always recommend that everybody on a plant-based diet take a B12 supplement. Okay. So we just have a little B12 vitamin spray that we take in the mornings. The kids take it and um, you don't even think about it. You can get some B12 from nutritional yeast, but I think you'd have to eat a lot of it to get as much as you need. Um and and that's it. That's the like we don't take any supplements whatsoever. Now, did you go through uh, a period where I always feel like if I go eat uh, just a bunch of carbs, whatever it is, maybe it's just a salad or um, I don't know if it's rice or or whatnot, whatever. It is, I don't feel full very long. I feel like in twenty minutes I'm starving again, um, and I feel like the only way I get that is either through fats or through protein. Now, do you use a lot of um, fats, whether it's avocado, I wanted to say, uh, but fats in a lot of cases come from um, butters or, or um, mm -hmm. from uh, animal products. products. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't get that. I, I, I hear that a lot, especially when people are transitioning to a plant-based diet. They might think, oh, I'm lethargic or I don't have enough energy or whatever. And, um, and that is you, you probably do at the beginning, at least. You have to eat more because obviously a meat diet is more calorie dense. Mm -hmm. Than, than kale and salad and um, spinach and vegetables or whatever. And so, you know, you maybe have to eat a little bit more to get the same amount of calories that you're used to. Or for a lot of people, eating less calories is probably a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, for me, I don't know. I feel like my stomach is, you know, I, it's probably shrunk or it's just small. And, and I find I, I get full like quick. It doesn't take a lot to, to, to fill me up. And, you know, it's fun when you get the question of like, oh, I could never, I never have the energy to do it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, how, how, how much are you running a week? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm doing about 60 miles a week here. I, I seem to be functioning okay. I, you know, I've got three kids I'm running around. We've got a family. We've got a business going. Like, yeah. I guess my fear's um, never so been I, energy levels, right? Because I, I always associate uh, carbs or, you know, breads and, and vegetables, things like that with sure. a major energy source. So, you know, mm -hmm. you always hear when people go low carb, they have the energy deficiency and things like that because they're lacking those the sugars and the glucose. But it seems sure. like it would be the opposite. I just feel like it would be a constant. I want to eat all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I don't feel like that. I don't think my wife feels like that. Uh, you know, we we plan out our day and we we do eat a lot. You know, regularly we're constantly kind of constantly snacking, um, and you know have big breakfasts and uh, you know uh, a lot of a lot of oatmeal, a lot of granola, homemade granola. 
um, a lot of homemade meals. Um, and it's just, it's, it just feels cleaner and nicer. Um, uh, no constipation issues. I can tell you yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we've had challenges with that over the years and no problems with that. And, um, kids haven't had any problems at all. They're, they're thriving. Um, and yeah, it kind of gets in your psyche enough that I don't think I mentioned it, but I actually, last year I started the world's first international vegan film festival. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That was just some this little side project because I didn't have enough on the go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's got a bit of passion project that's like taken over now. Um, so I held that in October, the first um, world's international vegan film festival in, in Ottawa in October. And, and now I'm in the middle of uh, planning and, and staging a world tour for it. So I've got different hosts oh, around the neat. world that are going to be screening it. And i um, just uh, about to announce it today, actually. Uh, um, we're going to be screening in Berlin in, in May and um, just did a show in Toronto last week. So, um, yeah, it's vegan themed films and um, people can get in touch with me if they want any more information about that. Is there a website? Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's just uh, the Ottawa International Vegan Film Festival. So O-I-V-F-F dot okay. com. O-I-V-F-F dot com. I'll put that in the notes. And, uh, yeah, and I can send you a couple other links. And, and then I also have, um, for people, every now and then I'll do get emails from friends that are looking to find out more information about a plant-based diet. And I, so I did up a cheat sheet, just kind of a, a Word doc and um, with a bunch of resources um, that I can send you if you want to put in the show notes. Yeah, or, for sure. Or no, certainly. Um, and it's just, just, it's just jot notes, some cookbooks that I like, some, some documentaries that I like. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't want to be that angry vegan that's um, pushing it on everybody. It's, uh, I know everybody's got to live their life and do what they want to do. But, um, if I can inspire people or if I can help people, um, make the move that are ready for it, then I'm happy to be here and help out. Um, I know. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, it gets a bad name in the sense that people are thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what, what is the reaction going to be or what are they going to be preaching to me about or right. But, um, yeah, I, I hadn't got the sense at that or from that at all that that was you. And it's interesting because I've cool. thought I've thought about it in the past and thought about um, it was funny doing this series. Right, I've got a couple more weeks. Uh, I thought about what am I going to do next? What am I going to continue to do? You know, I like to experiment mm. on myself. I'm always I, I always like trying new things, and I've done a low carb diet for many many years. So I've thought about. You know, maybe I'll do a month of vegan or vegetarian, mm. right? One of those, right? And I've and I've thought about doing that just from the standpoint of feeling what it's like. How do I, what you know? I, and I feel like it's got to be more than a month at least to kind of really get into it and really get the effects of it. Just so um, one, I can appreciate it, I can understand where people are coming from, and I can see how my body reacts because I can see that you know. There isn't one thing for everyone, and I think you know certain people. I've heard people that have gone vegan and then they're their health declines, right? Or they're, they're having issues and, you know, they go the other way or people go to be become a vegan for these health issues. So I always feel like there's not one thing that fits everyone, but I've always been interested in how it might affect self. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like, you know, we always encourage like start with meatless Mondays, yeah, yeah. you know, and then, and then eventually switch it over to meat Mondays and everything else is meatless <laughs> um, <laughs> or let's go meatless before 5 PM. Um, and yeah, I encourage, there's so many ways to go about it. You definitely don't need to go cold turkey and, and just shut off the tap one day. And, and yeah, it's daunting to think of like, I'm going to be a vegan for the rest of my life. I'm never going to eat meat. Like, yeah, if that, like when that comes over, it's like, no way I can never do it. But you start with one day a week or, or mornings or, you know, up to lunchtime. And, and, you know, it's amazing how once you see changes or once you see results or, um, you're shifting and, and, you know, I tell you probably within a month, you probably would see some changes. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, so don't don't feel that you you know do do what works for you. But I, I think you know starting slow is a lot of people do that. And um, you know if you want to do that, I can definitely hook you up with some nutritionists, even some some sport nutritionists that are that work on plant based diets that um, could kind of advise you and, and help you along if you had questions. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's that. something and, that um, I'd have to do some research on. I feel like it's easier to go low carb potentially than it is to to just shut off meat and figure out. Um, and then it's my wife is funny. She's like, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to do your own cooking. I already make a meal for the kids. I make a meal for us. I'm not cooking a third meal. <laughs> no, you know, I've got this great, uh, there's one particular really good family cookbook, kids cookbook, and the kids will eat probably 80% of that cookbook. And, um, and it's, it's kid meals. Um, I probably cook out of it three times a week. Um, and so I, you know, I can send that along to you, but, um, yeah, I know what it's like trying to make kid meals and all the Yeah, others. what I'll have to get from you, and maybe you could just mention a name. If, if there was some, uh, is there, you, you mentioned a documentary that people would mm -hmm. want to watch Flips that isn't knives. too hardcore, but might introduce them to the concepts and, and things like that. What was it called? It's called Forks Over Forks Knives. Forks Over Knives, okay. And that, so that, that's been, that's a few years old now, but it's still very relevant. And the, the one kind of on a similar topic, these are health topics, not, you know, it's not animal agricultural, totally related. It's not slaughter farms type of thing, um, is what the hell. Yeah, I just heard about that. that, was, that one. Uh, yeah, that came out a couple of years ago. It's, um, from the people that they also made the, um, called cowspiracy. Um, and so the cowspiracy is more of on the animal agriculture, environmental side, the environmental impact of animal agriculture. Um, so that's good too. But if you're you know, looking at the health focus, what the health is a good one. Um, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. They do make some um, uh, some statements in there that are people kind of roll their eyes with, and I think it's to get a bit of a media attention. But in the overall picture of of the film, they they have a lot of really good points in there. Um, but forks over knives is really good, uh, and uh, yeah, those are good good kind of starting points. Um, you can go down the rabbit hole, and and obviously running a film festival now, I can give yeah, you, you got all kinds twenty of them, other right? films. <laughs> Well, I can imagine there's a lot of just like with YouTube and the things that I've started doing, there's a lot of independent things being created now, which, you know, aren't mainstream Netflix, yeah. but there's good information for athletes or, um, and, and there's a bunch of ultra athletes now that are, I think it's, is it Ryan Clayton? Is that name ring a bell? I'm trying to think of uh, sure. I know Scott Jurek is definitely the, probably the most yeah, famous. There's, Scott Jurek. There, there's a couple that are out there that are vegan. And so I'm learning about some of these vegan friendly endurance brands. I was going to ask you as far as gels mm -hmm. and things like that, what, what products you use. Yeah. I've been thinking about that as you've been talking about it on your show, what products and, and, you know, honestly I, I use, I've been using cliff shots. Cliff products are, are vegan. Um, mostly because they're the cheapest, uh, when I go to the yep. store and I'm looking yep. and they're <laughs> readily available, video. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can get them across the street at a store near our house. And um, so, yeah, I haven't gotten into specialty stuff. I've, I've been using none, um, some of the, that nutrition stuff. Um, but I like to keep it simple. I eat a lot of dates. Um, dates are great on the trail. I just put them in a little Ziploc bag and throw them in my pocket and away we go. And um, peanut butter and jam sandwiches, you know, things like that. So it's it's never been an issue. Sometimes at aid stations when they've got like cheese quesadillas, you're like, uh, it'd be nice. to. But a lot of places will just have bean burritos or it seemed like yeah, they had bean burritos there and so a lot of aid stations will have kind of a vegan option um but it yeah it, it has never really been an issue yeah, i could see racing and, sorry, there's there's tons of carbs at races right it's just making sure yeah. you you know which ones are, are vegan friendly and things like that right i mean whether it's um obviously things like chocolate potentially aren't vegan friendly right <laughs> Um, yeah, but there's lots of vegan chocolate out there, but it's probably, you it's know, it's not the M&Ms that the, they have at the race course that, uh, <laughs> right. yeah, 
yeah, yeah, you pack your own for that. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, there's different gummy bears, and and kind of same thing like what if i have a handful of m&ms have i like gone off the wagon now it's not like you know it's not alcoholism it's not cigarettes <laughs> you're gonna start binging <laughs> um, on m&ms <laughs> yeah exactly so it's um i think this is some people say like sometimes people want to be so perfect that the stress of being perfect outweighs the benefits of eating a plant-based diet um, so keep that in mind, you know, it's, it's not an all or nothing. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yeah, I think it's uh, as with anything, right. Um, I'm familiar with one of the things I follow is called the RP diet and Renaissance periodization. And when you first start looking at that diet, it's so technical in a sense of you need this many grams of this and this many, and you try and start putting meals together and you realize, well, shoot, I'm two grams short of carbs. How am I going to get those two grams? And, and it's overwhelming. It's like, wait a second, you just got to step back and and get He's, close right and and people get yeah. so caught up with that in just about anything you do especially me being engineering minded it's like it says 24 grams now how am i going to get another gram give me a, half <laughs> a cashew right uh, yeah and that, 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 i'm glad you brought that up and and that's why like a whole food plant-based we call it diet but it's not a diet it's a whole food plant-based lifestyle and I, personally i feel that any diet that you're counting is is not sustainable for a lifetime yeah let alone like months or years. And I don't think about, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. And um, yeah, I think like I've never counted calories in my life and don't plan on doing it and don't suggest other people don't do it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's more of like, if you're eating, if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, you need as much as you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess uh, when you start eating lots of vegetables, things like that, it is definitely yeah. filling. Can you eat too many vegetables? Can you eat too much, you know, carrots and fruits? And sure, you can eat too much of anything, but um, for the most part, you can't. Um, you know, I had a friend that was on keto, and he's like counting out his broccoli that he has to eat. I'm like, just eat as much broccoli as you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keto is an extreme and, one, right? For as far as carb counting. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I don't know. What, when I think of diet, I think of an end. When there's a diet, there's an end point. And what happens after that end point? You go back to where you were? Like, that's what my father did his whole life. Yeah, constantly yo-yoing back <laughs> you and forth, right? You know, my father's the one who would have fish and chips the night before he goes on a diet, so it looks good the first <laughs> week. <laughs> and, and that's what he's done his whole life and um, to, to no success. Um, and so I really encourage lifestyle changes instead of diets. But um, Now, has it been hard with the kids doing birthday parties or going to events like that where there's just, it's pizza or whatever, you know, for them, not necessarily that it, they just want whatever other kid is having. Yeah, sure. No, I, I totally get you on that. And and yeah, we're, we're, we're growing through it. Um, you know, our kind of idea is that we're, we're plant-based at home. And, um, you know, as they grow older, they're going to want to, I'm sure, experiment and try new things. Uh, I think they get it. We're not trying to, like, brainwash them or anything. We don't sit them down at Slaughterhouse Films and, <laughs> and say, this is why we're doing this. Um, we kind of try to educate them slowly on age-appropriate stuff. Um, and, you know, eventually they'll make their own choices. But, yeah, birthday parties, if they have birthday cake, like, whatever, you know, eat the birthday cake. Some some families know we do this, and they might have some like, oh, here's your cupcake instead of the other cupcakes, and they might have a vegan cupcake. Or some places they they made all vegan cupcakes for everybody because of us. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, interesting. They, they, the kid the kid didn't know that, and no other kids knew that. They all loved yeah, and it. And I think people are getting used to at least f us as parents are aware when we have kids that are coming that are gluten intolerant or things like that, and those options are more readily available. We haven't had any 
vegan uh, that I know of that we've needed to prepare for. My wife would know better, but um, definitely, you know, I think it's people are used to dealing with it. Yeah, more so. there's so many people, so many allergies out there, so many religious different um, diets and that. So it's not that abnormal. But one, one of the big things that bugs me is that every Friday they have pizza day at school. Um, and I think it's a bit of a fundraiser for them. Yeah, we do too. Um, it just drives me. So, so they're they're not going to eat that pizza. Like they probably could. Like I probably wouldn't bother. But if, if it's every week, that might be a bit much. Like a birthday here and there is okay. And but my daughter's like, I don't want to eat cow cheese, Dad. <laughs> and I was like, All right. So now every single Thursday throughout the school year, I have to make pizza at home for mm-hmm. dinner on Thursday night, so that they can take for lunch on Friday to have with their friends. Um, now I'm I'm working my way into the school council. They're only in uh, second grade and, and kindergarten right now, but I think I'm going to get on the school council next year and um, put my foot down somewhere or, or try to you know let's just have a vegan option. Like everybody can have their pizza. Let's just have a vegan option. Yeah, exactly. I did send an email to the principal last week and was like, you know, why are we doing this junk food every week? Like um, maybe once a month or once a once a semester we can have pizzas every Friday. Like every Friday, like just the health side of it alone, let alone you know. Um, and then the other night, actually, I couldn't go to sleep because I was like, what are some other fundraising? I'm sure there's a million fundraising ideas we can do that doesn't have to feed our p- kids pizza. Every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm treading gently and I don't want to like piss off the school and I don't want to be that the angry vegan. But um, one, I'm you know, concerned about everybody's uh, everybody's health at the school, all the kids. And, you know, I'm interested in this 100 mile club that your, your kids are in. And, and maybe that's something I can bring up here. Yeah, it's very um, cool so, if you want to get in, in touch with them. Uh, it's a very cool program for getting kids running. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm all about that and, and, and just kind of spreading the message, but but stepping lightly and um, not trying to make enemy, enemies, but uh, trying to include everybody, but also try to do a little bit of education along the way. Yeah. Well, any resources you have or you want to send my way, I'll make sure I put them in the show notes and, and get them out there for people because I am definitely interested in experimenting with it. Um, Absolutely. Beyond that, I can't commit, but uh, I will definitely <laughs> uh, experiment with it. And uh, I think post this race, I need to figure out when. I've got another race that I'm doing in August, so trying to find out, you know, when would that work? And and you know, because mm-hmm. if I do it, I wanna I wanna commit to it and do it right and yep. document what I'm doing yeah. and the transition and the products I'm using. So I, it's kind of a big task, I feel like, because um, I want to make sure I'm able to document it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, try try not to build it too much in your head because it's one of those things you'll you'll never do if you build it too much or 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 it'll be delayed too long. Like just start start small or or maybe surprise us and say this is what I've been doing for the last two weeks. I didn't even tell exactly. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, if, it's one of those things. If it's difficult, it's not going to happen. If it's too difficult, it's not going to. Yeah. It's like recycling. Right? <laughs> you, need exactly. make, you need to make recycling easy because some people will do it. Um, but just to touch on kind of the muscle mass stuff, and that's always a concern, especially for people that are really concerned about their muscle mass. Like, there, if you if you Google vegan bodybuilders, like there's dozens and dozens that come up now. I think in um, October's Muscle and Fitness magazine, the cover photo is this kind of guy, this vegan bodybuilder that he's been vegetarian his whole mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Uh, um, and he's been vegan for like the last five years, and um, he's just making waves right now. I think he went to Mr. Universe for the fitness competition or whatever, oh, yeah. and. Um, He's, um, Rich Roll is a great podcast. Yeah. It's a great resource. Um, he's kind of a hero of a lot of vegan athletes yep. <laughs> and, um, uh, he was kind of my first way into it. And yeah, it's one of those podcasts I don't miss. And, and his is not all vegan, you know, it's probably maybe one every five guests is on a vegan topic, but the other ones are world-class athletes and leaders. Yeah, he's got all kinds right, of people. So. It's not even a, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, once I read his book and, and then suddenly kind of, he 
a lot of his fame came from though being kind of vegan and 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 the transition he's got everybody on his show it's very interesting so i do listen to his show yeah and the china study is an is kind of a holy grail bible in in terms of the health studies um China study was a big study that happened, like the biggest nutrition study ever in the world that happened a few, about 10 years ago and over like a 20 or 30 year period. And it talked about different areas in China that had high incidences of chronic disease or extremely low incidence of chronic disease and um, found out kind of what they're eating based on, you know, other areas of high chronic disease. But um, that's another great, if you're a reader and and are interested in the facts, um, the China study is is kind of the Bible for that. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I put that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned you had some questions for me. I don't want to uh, pass those up if you, if you yeah. remember what they are or put you on the spot. But what were those if you remember? Sure. Yeah, I won't keep you too long. And I'm sure your kids are going to pop in soon. <laughs> but uh, I, I, some of it's just like commanding you. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I think, uh, you know, I said to my wife, like, he's on, he's on camera at 430 every morning and he's smiling. He's not in a bad mood. He doesn't have cobwebs in his eyes. Like, <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Like, sure, I might be up at 4.30 or 5 too, but you don't want to look at me or talk to me. <laughs> it's, a, it's one thing to just get my shoes on. But, yeah, but I don't um, record after 8.30 at night because I am exactly that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, do you, do you think it affects your training that much? Like, I know you're stopping and setting up the camera on your runs and that. Like, how, how does that affect your, like, your pace, getting going? Like, the quality, I guess the quality of your runs yeah. in terms of your filming. I... I think I do a lot of it. I, well, I try and spread it out. And I, in early on, I used to think about it, you know, looking at my pace a lot. But what I found was that actually with ultras, I need to stop doing that as much. I need to focus more on slowing my pace down or a, a walk break here and there or me, you know, taking a little 20 yard jot back just to get a camera shot. It's, it's not that big a deal. And I'm not really super cinematic about what I'm doing. You know, half the time it's pulling the camera out and holding it. And sure. and it's kind of just become second nature now where I don't really even think about it. Um, but I used to worry about it. If I'm, if I'm going out, it's like, okay, I'm going for a 5K t- for time, then I'm not going to set the camera up. I might carry it with me, but that's about it. But early on, it, it felt like it did. And now I think um, I'm just kind of used to it. Or I'll, I'll group it together where I'll try and get shots and then I'll go for a longer period where I'm where I'm not shooting uh, anything. So uh, now I'm used to it. But I've thought about you know how would I modify this if I got back into doing another Ironman? How would I go about you know shooting something like that? But I don't think it's that's when you hire somebody. <laughs> exactly, that would be nice. I have uh, someone following me around with the camera. There's not enough money in it for me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Sanders does that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I need to do more of that. Uh, taking the, I, I find annoying if I have to stop and like change the podcast on my phone or something. <laughs> like, oh, this is 30 seconds. Yeah, it's funny. You know, uh, that's why I used to hate running on the roads, right? It's like, oh, you got to wait for the stoplight or you got to wait for this. And, yes. But all of a sudden I'm doing the camera and it's like, it's okay because it's me who's making this happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've I worked with I'm working with this coach right now. And I was like, send me my pace times. What about my pace times? And he's like, no, I'm not sending you pace times. It's zones. It's like, this is how you should feel in this zone, this zone, and this zone. I was like, oh, I was like, but I need pace times. <laughs> You're just programmed. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's no, you got to run by feel. Um, and, and I'm sure that's better in the long run. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mentioned my one of my first emails to you. It'd be, it'd be cool to, uh, uh, um, I don't know what you're, 
wife is like about this relationship, but even like whether interviewing her or even doing a podcast with her, maybe not even have cameras on and just do a podcast. I know, I keep telling her that, uh, you know, we need to do like a, a Q&A and, and do something like that. And she's always like, are you sure you really want my real opinion out there, what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's I, I, I think if I do it with my wife, it'd probably be a bit awkward, but maybe it's something that you get one of the viewers to interview you and your wife. Yeah, exactly. Get, no, we definitely need to- Or, or you get locked I, in a different room and we interview her. I'm working her up to it. It's funny because we were talking about how I, you know, she cooks fairly healthy. Obviously, we're not vegan, but, you know, she cooks fairly healthy. And um, I always talk to her about, hey, you know, we've got this brand new kitchen. We could do some uh, different recipes and food. And, she, and she, she's like, doesn't have any issue doing the cooking. It's It's getting over that being on camera and potentially someone critiquing yeah. her or, you know, I think she's, sure. it's funny. You, you, you definitely have to have some thick skin to put yourself out there. And, and it's, no, absolutely. and I think she fears that. And it's your thing. It's not her thing. Yeah. And I, I think she's easing into it over time. She's getting more used to yeah. me filming little things here and there. And, uh, but there's, she's okay with you having the camera around the house and when you're out to dinner and stuff. I do it very sporadically. It's like quick, right? I try not to make it obvious or, you know, even me, I'm still not used to filming in public or people, you know, I'll be recording something on a trail run and someone will be coming around the trail. And it's like, Oh, I got to start over now. I feel like an idiot doing it in front of them. You know, I don't, I don't know how a lot of these people, these vloggers do this stuff and they just, yeah. just like, whatever, I'm going to never see these people again. I'm just going to record and talk. And right. Well, soon you're going to be on a trail run. You're going to come around the corner and be like, you're the guy from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be in the yeah, airport. Well, it's funny. Lately, there's been this trend of um, I'm getting pictures, uh, either people in their stories on Instagram or things like that, where it'll be really cool where they'll take a picture. And I, I guess I didn't realize how many people watch YouTube on their TV. Um, I don't watch TV at all. Everything I do is on my phone or my iPad just because I feel like I do everything in like five minute increments in between the kids yelling for me. So, uh, you know, I'll get these pictures. It's like, holy cow. And then I'll show my wife. She's like, unbelievable. You're on somebody's TV. <laughs> and she doesn't watch anything I record. She always says, I lived it. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine it's hard to, to keep up with and it probably takes a lot of mental space. And it's pretty amazing that you're managing to keep a, a high profile, well, not high profile, but a professional job that you're <laughs> a very demanding professional job and, and all this on the go on the side. And I'm sure it's a, it's a lot of balancing that, that um, you know, I'm sure my, I know myself and I'm sure others in my position appreciate it. But That's what uh, the 4 a.m. Hopefully we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. We're we're not living your demise because of to our to our entertainment. Expense. Exactly. Slowly, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, we all, we all need our sleep and we all need our family time, and it, it seems like you've got a good balance with that, and you know when to turn it off. And well, there's definitely been times, even this last couple of weeks, where I came out of the race uh, and or when I was sick, and it became a chore. Right. Where all of a sudden it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't record anything today, you know, and all of a sudden it's Thursday right. and I'm like, damn, I don't I haven't recorded a thing this week. What am I going to do? Right? There, that has happened in the past few weeks where that hadn't been a case yet. So I think uh, you see it. I've seen it with other people that are doing video at some point. They're like, OK, I just need a, a little vacation from from doing yeah. it. It's not that you, you, yeah. you just sometimes you just need a break. Sure. And yeah, like, you know, those podcasts these days have seasons, you know, people sometimes that get into podcasts and they like, they need to do it every day, every week for 365 days, they got to have one out and they just like run themselves on the ground. But now they're <laughs> exactly. like, okay, that season's over. I'll be back with you in two months. 
when I got something else going. Yep. So yep. yeah, TV's able uh, to pull it off, right? You know, all the all the viewers don't just yeah. disappear, but for some reason you end up with this fear of, oh my God, my video's not gonna yeah. be out on Tuesday. No one's gonna watch it on Wednesday. Right. I went two days without any likes and now Exactly. It's like I'm not that important. If I disappear right. tomorrow, people can do without it. Yeah, all right. No, but yeah, no, I'd love to see you keep keeping it up, but obviously uh maintaining your own uh, <laughs> mental health well being. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it'd be cool to connect with you in the future. You know, I'm back in Vermont sometime. I don't, I don't know exactly how far. Uh, I do have a question for you. Yeah. You mentioned New, uh, Newfoundland. Do you know who Becky yeah. and Chris are? Have you heard of them? Okay. No. Well, they're 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 Last YouTube person. YouTubers, but okay. they're they're big into doing um, like videography and filming and things like that. And and uh, I believe he's they're from Newfoundland, and he now li- they're oh, in really? Buffalo now, and he's a anesthesiologist and stuff like that. Oh, I do know him. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's anest- he does a lot of YouTube videos on medicine. Yeah, yeah. He's a helicopter pilot. Yeah, Very yeah. entertaining. Yes. They're a funny couple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my wife did her, her residency at the same time as oh, okay. in Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah. You know, it had to come. <laughs> it, it is a big place. It's a fairly big place, but um, we do know. Yeah, I, I know who he is, and I think I know his parents, and my parents know his parents. Oh, or something. wow. And, yeah, there was a good news story. He actually, yeah, they, there was. Well, he's not yeah, allowed to was, practice, or he, there's some something happened. I, I'm not 100% up on it. I know he's documented it, but something happened, and that's why they're in yeah. Buffalo or whatnot, but. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to get jobs in Canada too, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there was, there was a bit of, uh, um, controversy or whatever around him and in, in doing this in Newfoundland. There was a, like the, the CBC news did a story on it, I think around that. Yeah. An gone. issue with basically doing two things in one, you know, being kind of on screen and things like that, but yeah. where's your interests and exactly exactly <laughs> yeah it's uh it's hard we are, we were actually moved almost moved to montana we'd signed a contract uh, to move to billings montana before we got a position out of what's it's uh there's not a lot of jobs for, for a lot of spe- specialty positions in, in canada for physicians surprisingly uh-huh. but um it's just a different different kind of healthcare than you have in the u.s yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Very different. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Some good, some, some good, some Yeah, bad, we could go on a whole other hour talking about that. Yes, that, that's I'm always very topic. interested in talking about uh, the differences <laughs> and, you know, how much it's built up in the media and what, it, you know, what it's really like. And so we may have to do that at another time. <laughs> yeah, and we'll do one on politics. Exactly. Because <laughs> it all leads in. No, that's one thing I have tried to not talk about whatsoever in any videos I do. There's yeah. zero politics in it. You've done a very good job of that. I feel that, like you, you know? can turn on. Some days I feel like you're going to tip over with your uh, frustration with the trail closures. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's never happened. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. Here I am trying to run ultras and uh, I can't actually run on dirt. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, after you do but, your uh, 100, you're going to have to come back on and, and, and we'll have to talk all sure. about that and your experiences and, and what that was like. Awesome. Yeah, that would be fun. We could uh, share some more stories again and... Hopefully I don't have too many lessons learned this time and then I figured them all out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing, you know, with a hundred miles or with anything that long, even an Ironman, the longer you're out there, the more opportunities there are for things to go wrong. Right. And that's, I think that's almost one of the, the challenges. You don't want that to happen, but it's kind of one of those things that you mentally have to be prepared for. And I think it, it almost helps in life. It's it's realizing that I'm going into this, things are going to go wrong, and I'm going to have to be able to deal with those obstacles and, and be able to adjust on the fly. And it's almost yeah, absolutely. one of the things that interests The nice thing about ultra is that you usually have time to recover from a lot of things too. Like 
in a marathon if it doesn't you know if you lose five minutes then you're you're out you're yeah gone. <laughs> imagine laying in the grass for a half hour in a marathon right and then getting up and, and continuing right. on uh Try, trying to get your personal best but yeah that can happen in a hundred miler you can lay down and take a yeah. nap or recover if you've got stomach issues so yeah yeah and yeah and it's you know one thing i really like too is learning about all their races from from people you have on or races you've done like i was telling my wife about the trans rockets yesterday and I was like, wouldn't that be great someday? Like, maybe we could drop the kids at grandma's and two of us can, we can go do this race. And I, I think she'll get into trail running and ultras eventually when she can figure it out with her schedule. Cause she is, she is very social too. And I was like, this is, you're going to love this. You get to chat while you race. This is, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to love this. You're going to love this. Exactly. Sport. Yeah. Just got just got to find time to to fit it all in. Well, very cool. Well, um, make sure I'll get I'll get the links from you today, and and we'll okay. get all that up, and yeah. and uh, so that way it's available when the show comes up. But just thank you so much for coming on and and talking to me about it. And uh, so we have questions, I'll I'll get those to you, and maybe you know if uh, as we have over time, and if I when I attempt to do this, uh, maybe we'll we'll do it again, and and you can talk yeah. me through all the questions and stuff that I have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me about any questions on, on plant-based diet or anything else or on the film festival, I'm happy to chat. Um, my, I can give you my link to my website. You can get through me there. It's just seanstratton.com. S H A W N. Put all that in there. And, um, how about social media? Where, where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah. Facebook is probably, I'm on most of it. Um, just find me on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find there. Um, there's a link on my website there. I'm on Instagram and Twitter a little bit, but, but, um, Fine, I have to streamline my social media to like one thing is to try to doing four like yourself is uh, it's a little impossible. Yeah, it's me. managing all of them. Twitter's the one that gets the least attention yeah. for me. It's just I I don't know. I I just can't do it. I don't have anything yeah. that clever to say that needs uh, you know, small little blurbs here and there. I, I struggle with Twitter. Yeah. I was looking for your Facebook group page that you mentioned you started and I, I couldn't find it to scramble this morning before it um where is that again oh i did the well i have the page uh it's just cj media so facebook.com cj, media. CJ okay. media so i was looking up chris i was looking <laughs> up Luke Fox. you had to do a little bit of streamlining of your uh <laughs> i know yeah i've kind of tried to put everything under cj media i just kind of used that okay. brand as a way to you know it's not my full name it's just kind of something that's yeah. uh, somewhat abstract but then people cool. trying to figure out what yeah. it actually is is it's, I'm glad you did that because a while back I'm like it'd be nice if you had a if you had a Facebook group because it seems like a lot of us are kind of middle aged ultra marathoners dealing with the same stuff and I'm sure we can have some interesting conversations. Yeah, honestly, there. I should start a group because what I started was actually just a Facebook yeah. page, okay, right? Page. So you uh, know, okay. I, yeah, I thought about group, doing right? that. So okay, yeah. Soon you're gonna have a travel agency <laughs> running tours for us, taking us all over the world. <laughs> it's funny. I was just looking up um, trail running camps, and my wife's like. You're serious? You're looking at trail running camps? I'm like, well, maybe once a year I, I can get away from here. the family for five days, right? It's like all of these things that I wish I could do. It's like, oh, man, they're running here. They're going here. And you go for five days. And it's like being yeah. a kid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like the runcation. I like that when you describe the Trans Rockies. It's yep. uh, it sounds a little gloomy. <laughs> Yeah, it is all around on day three or four of the run. You're like, oh my God, what am I thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've done treks in like Nepal and, and India where you're kind of on the same schedule with people. You fly in on, on a plane with them and then like you keep meeting up with them and that's probably similar. In those yeah, races. we'll have to, that's another reason to do a show is to talk more about these adventures you've done. You've done a lot of stuff, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've got a book out. I'll send you a copy of it actually. Oh, very and, cool. Uh, it's called Teams on the Edge. 
So it's uh, stories and lessons, and I'm just about finished my second book on on leadership. Ah, all right. Uh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. well, I'll get all of that stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Sean. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for the chat. Sorry for keeping oh, us so long. This no, morning. no, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's, we've been on here an hour and thirty minutes. It just kind of flew by. Oh wow. Right on. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate it. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you give it a thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. And if uh, if you're listening to it on one of the podcast networks and you're enjoying, uh, give it a review. But uh, again, I appreciate all of your uh, uh, your support and your comments. If you've got questions, put them below and I'll make sure I get them over there and uh, we'll get them answered. We'll do a follow-up show. But as always, uh, I appreciate all of the support and we will talk to you in a week. Out. Trail run.